la caída del ser humano. La serpiente era la más astuta que todos los animales del campo que Dios el Señor había hecho. Así que le preguntó a la mujer, ¿es verdad que Dios les dijo que no comieran de ningún árbol del jardín? Podemos comer del fruto de todos los árboles, respondió la mujer. Pero en cuanto al fruto del árbol que está en medio del jardín, Dios nos ha dicho, no coman de ese árbol ni lo toquen, de lo contrario morirán. Pero la serpiente le dijo a la mujer, no es cierto, no van a morir. Dios sabe muy bien que cuando coman de ese árbol, se les abrirán los ojos y llegarán a ser como Dios, conocedores del bien y del mal. La mujer vio que el fruto del árbol era bueno para comer y que tenía buen aspecto y era deseable para adquirir sabiduría. Así que tomó de su fruto y comió. Luego le dio a su esposo y también él comió. En ese momento se les abrieron los ojos y tomaron conciencia de su desnudez. Por eso, para cubrirse, entretejieron hojas de higuera. Thank you, Jimena. Excellent. So if you've been tracking with us for October, you know we're doing a series on what it means to be an emotionally healthy church. And right now we're hitting the halfway point. And my guess is that most of you, you wouldn't exactly say this has been a feel-good series. You know, I mean, it doesn't feel good to dig deep and address the neglected parts of our lives. One of the most neglected parts of us is our emotional life. And, and emotions are just hard to interpret. They're unpredictable and overwhelming. And uh, as my friend Dave Lomas says, emotions are like a burp. It's kind of gross, but, but they bring to the taste buds what was deep within, right? I mean, that's, you won't forget it now, I promise. They do, the things, the things you've believed about God and the world, the things you've internalized sometimes for years, emotions have a way of bringing to the surface all the stuff you've carried down below. So getting emotionally healthy is way more than just, oh, I'm so anxious, I gotta stop worrying now, or I'm so afraid, I'm just gonna like turn on the light in my heart or whatever. It's so much more than that. It's, it's actually digging down and asking, okay, where is this coming from? What do I actually believe about the world and about God and about myself as a child of God? This is what we've been after. And this is what you've been after. If you've been in a Park Hill community, you've had conversations and there's been good like quasi unraveling moments that have been beautiful and healing for many of you. I've heard some great feedback already this week as we enter the halfway point on how God is like meeting you guys in that way. So if you find yourself unraveling with your community as we journey through this stuff, that's good. Like even though it might not feel like a good thing, lean into that. God is gently leading us into a place where we are having to deal with that stuff, our own emotions, and it's a good thing. As, as we've said several weeks now, here it is again, it is impossible, there's a slide for it, It is impossible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So our emotions are directly tied to our spirituality. And so I wanna, I wanna admit right up front that for most of my life, emotional health hasn't been something on my radar. It's been like a neglected discipline for me, especially in the area that I'm talking about today, which, <laughs> I don't like this, which is receiving the gift of limits. Uh, so here we go, okay? I'm gonna read, we read it in Spanish, gonna read it in English now, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees, from the, the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you mustn't touch it or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they recognized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Can we stop and pray right now? Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit to bring illumination in the places we don't even know are dark, so that you might inhabit them. Reclaim your rightful place in our hearts and show us where we end and where you are taking over. We are not God. You are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So last Christmas Eve, like I said, we officially launched Park Hill Church. It was incredible. How many of you guys were there last Christmas Eve? It was a great gathering, so much we celebrated. Uh, we packed out North Park Observatory. We're doing it again this Christmas. So back then, that launch gathering, it was, it, was so, it was like a high. And afterward, I remember getting in the car and driving home, taking a deep breath and just feeling super weird. And then 10 minutes later, I'm walking through our door and I'm just like, I don't, I feel touchy and achy. Like I'm starting to just feel achy. And then we had the team over for a little like post-service launch burrito party. And, and I remember being like, this has to be over soon. Like I need guests to leave. I love you guys. But, and, and then as the last guest was leaving, I was like hanging on by it. And as soon as they left, I collapsed onto the couch, wrapped myself in blankets, could barely walk. And if, if I, if I unwrap myself with blankets, I'd shiver and want to throw up. It was scary. It basically, I, I, turns out I was experiencing something called a psychogenic fever. I could barely, like, barely see straight. It was basically an in, a, intense stress-induced flu that only lasts like six hours. And I pretty much know why this fever came on. It's what we're talking about today. I reached a point in my own life where I hit my limit. And my body was like, buddy, you're at your limit. And God was like, buddy, you're at your limit. I'm like, I'm not at my limit. There's other people that are doing more than me. I can do this too. I'm not at my, I can push. Uh, and I reached a limit where doing too much and taking on too much emotional weight from others caused my body to fail. And maybe you've been there uh, where emotions and stress and just life causes your body to fail. So today, I'm, I'm obviously teaching from a place of vulnerability. It's not like, hey, I've developed these best practices over the last five years. Look how I'm living within my limits. It's not that at all. I'm not teaching from that place. Uh, I'm learning this the hard way, like currently, like barely scratching the surface of this. So, so I say this to ease my own tension right in the front. Like, I, I don't have anything that's going to blow your mind that I'm gonna say about this. I'm just gonna tell you some things that God is doing in my life and point to the scriptures because honestly, I feel like I'm a child when it comes to this idea of receiving the gift of limits. So we, we open with Genesis three, why? Well, first of all, if you've been around Park Hill very long, you know like 
Every sermon begins in Genesis 1. Like, we want to teach you that. That's like a cultural piece for us. We believe the whole story of Jesus fulfilling the human longing starts on page one of the scriptures. And so we go back there all the time. Because whether a preacher tells you or not, his sermon begins in Genesis 1. That's the truth. So, so we opened up by reading the first couple pages today. Uh, but there's a question that comes up if you've ever studied Genesis, like with a small group or if you were like grow up in church. What's the first question that like kids, even kids ask when you get to the snake in the tree? It's like, why'd God put a tree there? Like, like he could have just not put a tree there. No more sin, end of Bible. It'd have been great. Like why the tree? Like why the tree, God? Seriously, um, I, I wanna ask like what was the tree like? Like, was it this foul tree that was like pulsating with sensuality or something? <laughs> like glow sticks hanging off it and stuff? And like dance, like a DDR dance floor under the shade? And I love how Francis Schaeffer says it. Here's a quote for you, it's powerful. God has not made a bad tree, he's simply made a tree. And there's nothing intrinsic about the tree that's different in any way from the other trees. Rather, God has simply confronted man with a choice. He could have just as well said, don't cross this stream or don't climb this mountain. He's saying, believe me and stand in your place as a creature. Not as one who is autonomous. Believe me and love me as a creature to his creator and all will be well. This is the place for which I have made you. That is why the tree. The tree confronted humanity with God's authority and humanity's limitation. God is saying today, Park Hill, I am the creator, you are the created. I am the potter and you are the clay. I am the infinite and you're finite. This is really the heartbeat of the message today. Just let that sink in. Do not eat from this tree. Know your limits. Live within your God-given limits. They're actually a gift. The tree was God asking you a question. Will you trust me and surrender to my goodness? Will you trust me with your limitation of being human? And will you receive your limits as a gift from me? So here's the message for today, Park Hill. You are human. You are created. Will you take your humanity and receive it as a gift, saying, I will live into my creatureliness and I will be dependent on God. I will trust you, God. So the question is, will you do that today? And, and this question gets even more intense for Adam and Eve when the temptations start rolling in. The serpent, who later in the Bible we find out this serpent is Satan, uh, the serpent invites humanity to eat from the tree, and Eve's like, if I eat it, I'll die. And the serpent famously says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, like you'll see. The devil's like, hey, you guys, right now, you're blind. Like, you don't even know the wonderfulness that's out there. You're blind. Your limits. You have limits, and you're limited. You can't see. Your eyes will be opened. You'll pop the Bradley Cooper limitless pill. Like, you'll, you'll be limitless. And, and you'll be limitless when you eat the tree, and you'll be like God when you eat it. So the temptation here is to, it seems like it's to be like God. But you know the irony? They already were. They were already made in God's image, in God's likeness. So Eve literally could have been like, sorry, snake, we're already like God, we're made in his image, like, bye, snake, end of Bible. That could have been another end of Bible moment. Um, 
So the temptation is to be like God, but honestly, we're already made in God's image, like in his likeness. And the message of the serpent, even now, is don't you wanna be your own God? Don't you wanna be the one who judges for yourself what's good and what's not good? Don't you want that authority? To redefine what's good and evil according to your own judgment? That's what you need. Like, don't trust in God for his definition of good and evil. That's too limited. You wanna break free of that. Do your own thing. And you guys, one of the most important things to realize about the creation story is that God is the one who calls everything good. He's the one who gets to do that. Like day one, light, dark, it was very good. Day two, it was very good, it was very good. God is making those judgments. That's his deal. And what the serpent says to Eve is basically, no, don't you wanna know what's good by yourself? That's where true uh, like life and experience is. Why not make it up yourself? And that was a temptation. Do you want to live by your own rules? Don't you wanna break the limits that God placed around you? Don't you want a life without limits, truly? I mean, how many of you grew up here, like, hearing, you can be anything you put your mind to? Anyone hear that? Like, I, I did, I heard that sometimes, like on TV or whatever, or even PBS, like I'd be watching, like reading Rainbow or something. <laughs> you can be anything you wanna be. Uh, you, or, or Aladdin, like you watch a movie, it's like, I can be anywhere. There's time to spare. You want me to sing it? I'm not gonna sing it. <laughs> or the Little Mermaid song. It's like, up where they walk. Someone started singing it right here. You can't not sing that song. <laughs> Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they, like, she's looking through this glass ceiling, up where they play all day, wandering free, you know? <laughs> you can't not sing that. Like, she wants to be part of, no. <laughs> she wants to be part of that world. She's just looking up, and she's like, let me just be what I want to be. I know I have fins. I want feet, you know? And, and, and now my kids' generation is growing up on movies like Frozen, and there's Let It Go, not singing Let It Go. Too soon, too catchy. Uh, it's like, but the lyrics are here. Look at this. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So this isn't an anti-Disney rant or anything. Believe me, this is not, I'm not that guy. Uh, like, but, and like all good movies, these movies have great messages of self-sacrifice and all that. But the songs you sing in the shower, you know, are the ones where it's like, having no limits is where it's at. Those are the ones people take away and internalize, getting rid of limits. Even like Visa, credit card company, what's their major ad, like for decades, everywhere you wanna be, you know? Like be anything, fly. It's okay, fly, there's no limits. The only limit's your credit limit. Like just, <laughs> there's no limit. Nothing gets Disney or credit cards, that's another sermon. But there's this message out there that says, the universe and me, we're gonna be anything we want. We can, as long as we work hard enough, that's our, rea we're gonna create our own reality and it's gonna be limitless, I can do anything. So people move to cities like San Diego and Orange County and LA, they move to these like 
metropolitan areas so they can live limitless and be whatever they put their minds to or whatever. In this culture, freedom is defined as being limitless in all directions at all times. That's what freedom means for people. But listen, this does not bring freedom. It brings bondage. It, because it brings covetousness. We're never, where we're never happy with our own lives and we have to like flip and scroll through social media posts to filter ourselves out into the ether in hopes that our limitlessness will be seen. In fact, this instant access to infinity, information overload, it actually perpetuates the lie that we can be limitless in what we know and who we see and limitless in even how we can be seen. Ours, this is the first society to actually think it can really try to know and see everything and everyone. And the result, you guys, is a hollow culture that in Paul's words is ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Our bodies are ragged. Our bodies are ragged, our souls are thirsty. And it's like we're unable to sit still and just be. And we drown ourselves in 24-7 living. All the while, we're failing to ask ourselves what Jesus asks of us. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And this isn't just a social media issue. This is all of life issue. If I sell five plots of real estate, my happiness is only as long as, oh, my partner just sold 10 this season, and then you get mad. If I did my best at creating a piece of art, someone else created a better one that sold more. And if I got promoted this year, well, then it's just a matter of time till someone else gets promoted even faster, and you're like, what the, why he? We live lives of envy. We're never happy in our own skin. We allow our mood to rise and fall on comparison. Not only does this make us covetous, but it goes deeper, and I believe it makes us uh, lost. It gives us a sense of lostness where we don't really know who we are. Here's what I mean. A couple years ago, Christian Smith, professor at Notre Dame, he, uh, he ran one of the biggest research projects done on teens and religion. This was just like four years ago. And you know what he found? He found that by far the most popular religion amongst teens in the US is what he calls moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay, it's basically these five things. That's a mouthful, but it's these five things. Next slide. Number one, this is the religion of the day. God exists. He made everything and watches over us. Okay? Sounds, sounds good. Two. God wants people to be good and nice. Why not, right? Number three, the goal of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. Now think on that, stop there. That really resonates with me. Like I think that's what God wants for, wants for me, isn't it? Like I think in a room like this, most of us are probably there. And then number four, God is not really involved in day-to-day -day life unless there's a problem and you pray and stuff. And then five, good people go to heaven when they die, cool. So honestly, that's the theology of the day. When you think about it, it resonates a lot. 
And, and what this thinking creates is this sense in us that we're free to go and find ourselves because God doesn't give us our identity here. We gotta go get it. And so God doesn't tell us who we are, so we go try to figure things out, and then, and then we hit a wall, and we're like, what? This is not supposed to be a wall here. I'm supposed to be whoever I put my mind to be. And then we go to God, and we're like, God, what's going on? I hit a wall, and it hurts. And he's like, here, try obeying me. And we do it for a bit, and then we go back to stuff, this. And the cycle continues. So, so Christian Smith sums up the problem this way. Powerful quote. Emerging adults, that's a lot of us in this room, emerging adults are determined to be free but they don't know what is worth doing with their freedom. They work very hard to stand on their own two feet, but they don't know what they ought to do and why once they're standing. They lack larger visions of what's true and real and good. Many know that there must be something more, and they want it, but they don't know what to do about that. So they simply carry on as best as they can as sovereign, autonomous, empowered individuals who lack a reliable basis for any particular conviction or direction by which to guide their lives. So what we do is we dabble. We dabble in everything. We're like, I'm free. And then you're like, what are you free for? I'm free to do whatever I want. Okay, cool, what do you wanna do? I don't know yet, I'm trying it all out. And by the time we're 50, we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I hit 50 years, crisis time. What have I been do? What am I gonna do? Or maybe we hit that crisis at 22 or 28 or 35. We've become our own gods. And we imagine ourselves ruling our own universes. And the reason why we don't know what to do with all this freedom we think we have is because we were never meant to be God. We've believed the lie that total limitlessness is freedom, but it's not. It's bondage. You see, the sin of our first parents and our sin today is not living under our God-given limits and not seeing our God-given limits as a gift to be received. And they are. Your limits are a gift. My limits are a gift. To receive the gift is to awaken to the reality that you and I were created by God with both limits and potential. You can't separate those, they feed into one another. You cannot be anything you wanna be. It's a gift, that's a gift. I'm sorry, not sorry, you can't. You can't be anything you wanna be. Even though technology and science might allow it, you can't. You are to receive your God-given limits as exactly that, a gift from God. I mean, the fact is, most of you will never see a million bucks because you do not have the capacity to earn or manage that. God never had that in mind for you, but you really want that right now. So you keep living in someone else's life instead of your own life, instead of receiving the limits that you have as a gift. Most of you will not build a successful startup because of your wiring, whether it's personality or like emotional, physical, spiritual, relational capacity thing, whatever the wiring is, you're not wired to be a, a startup guru, but you keep posturing and jockeying and it's exhausting you and it's eating at your soul and keeping you up at night because God never had that in mind for you. So you keep living someone else's life in their skin 
instead of receiving the limits that you have as the gift that they are. We so easily forget to be where we're at, to sit with Jesus where we are. We so easily kick against our God-given limits. We were created by God to exist in this world under his authority and goodness. In order for us to find our place in his world and for us to be emotionally healthy people, we must find where we're limited and where our potential is. Practically, this is honestly looking at our failures and our limits and then saying, God, are you limiting me here? If you are, thank you, thank you. I cultivate a garden of gratitude around that failure and rest. Because part of being a human in God's family is to learn to rest in your skin, to be at peace in how God made you and how he set limits on your own life personally. Have you ever like woken up in the morning and sat with Jesus, be still and just listen and then just ask him, God, where do I thrive? Like, where do I thrive? It's like, it's like plants. <laughs> My wife's super into plants. One of our favorite places to go, just on a whim, is the North Park Nursery, right there by that coffee, in that coffee shop, kind of. Uh, and so we go in there, and she gets like little cactuses for shelves, and like, I call them just ceiling plants, I don't know what they're called. And, and then like fiddle leaf plants, you know those big fiddle leaf things that kind of sit on a stand in the corner like they're in trouble? I love all these little plants and my wife knows like where to put them so that they each thrive. And we're a lot like that. There's certain scenarios where each of us just turn green in a good way. We come alive and none of us have the same spots. Shelves, corners, sunlight, shade. We're a lot like that. And when we receive those limits from God as gifts, we thrive. This is when we look at the activity of God around us and we're honest with God and with ourselves. We're like, God, I thank you. I receive from you my limits and I agree with you, God, about who I am in my thriving and who I'm not in my non-thriving. I agree with you, God, and I receive that from you as a gift. One of the most beautiful examples of this is John the Baptist. We're gonna land the plane in John's life. Turn to John chapter one. Beginning of Genesis, beginning of John. Amazing example of someone who's centered in their own skin. John 1, starting in verse 19, he writes, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They're looking for his identity. And he, I love verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but, to, but he confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. And then they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He's like, no, I'm not. And are you the prophet? He's like, nope. <laughs> Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? It's an intense question. And he replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, I'll, John confessed freely, no, nah, I'm not the Messiah. Limit, <laughs> nah, I'm not Elijah. Nope, easy no. 
and I'm not the, the prophet either. And then they get frustrated. They're like, who are you? We have to give some title back to the press. This is a PR move for you right now. Be smart, you're in the spotlight. How are you gonna invest this social capital right now? Who are you? What do you say about yourself? And he's like, I'm a voice. In the Greek, it could be definite or indefinite. It could be the voice or a voice. It doesn't matter. I'm pointing to the lamb. I love John here. Something so refreshing about John's vibe. He has zero interest in furthering his brand. His whole identity is created in relation to Jesus. In fact, this might sound strange, but John first finds his identity in what he's not. And that's so important. Listen, guys, in your limits, it's so important for you to figure out what you're not. Have you failed miserably at something? That's a gift. It's a gift. Let that teach you what you're not and receive that limit as a gift. John's like, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, and this guides him into his identity. And here's, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna blow by this point. There is as much guidance in what doesn't happen in life as there is in what does happen. I said at the start, I'll say it again, I do not like this message. I don't like this. I'm an Enneagram seven, I want it all. You limit my options, you've just become my enemy, you know? I want it all, which means, yeah, my worst fear is FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. That's like my, that's my, that's my hell, okay? You can, you can limit, you can limit my credit, don't limit my options. Um, so, story from my own life, when I was first getting into music and writing songs as a, as a young worship leader, people were like, okay, you're in youth ministry, you're leading worship, some of these songs, people are singing them, like, what are you gonna be? <laughs> Are you gonna be a worship leader or are you gonna be an artist? Or are you gonna be a pastor? And they, they send all the, and I'm like, yep. Like the idea of having to choose, I'm like, I'm not even gonna give into that. Like, I, I don't wanna, the idea of picking one never made sense. So I kinda never really picked, but there were times my limitations were unavoidable and it was painful. They forced me to take a tough crossroad decision. And those, in hindsight, every one of them are gifts. Every one of them. Here's one of them. I remember getting offered, there was, a, there was like a two-year span when I was offered a couple of record deals. And I was like, okay, let's get it on. Like, let's do it. I can be, totally be a dad and a pastor and a husband and be at the mercy of a booking agent and tour 100 dates a year and do it all. Totally easy. But that was, for me, some do that. For me, that was not reality. I was living in a false reality in my mind and I had to learn to receive the God-given limits that were built into my personality and my marriage and my stage of life. And there was this decisive moment. I remember sitting in my friend, who, he's a producer, I was sitting in his studio and I'm like, hey, should I, should I sign my life away? Should I just do this thing? I know it'll be hard, it'll take me away from family, but it could, could be the thing. And, and uh, he looked at me, he swiveled around in his chair with his lava lamp behind him and he's like, Evan, for you, honestly, I love you, but a record deal would be a disaster. And he did that with his hand. <laughs> and I was like, hey, don't be mean. <laughs> In my mind, I was like, hey, hey. 
And then he went down the list of things that would be compromised that are, that are, that are clearly God's doing right now. And, and then he, he just said, Evan, you are not wired to hit the road for weeks at a time, driving around doing podunk little radio interviews for 21 days straight, calling before FaceTime your family. That's, you are not wired to lead your family that way. The best thing for you is to stay home and rooted in your community. And then he said, I would hate to see what your life would be like if you signed a standard record, record deal. And it stung in the moment, but oh my gosh. Hindsight, I look back, that was a moment of great potential. Great potential. Knowing what we're not is a gift every time. Let that settle your heart. Let that settle you. Knowing what you're not is a huge gift because then we don't just stop there. We never stop there. God has an identity for us to receive. We then move on to what we are, okay? John the Baptist says in verse 23, I'm a voice. He's a voice. I know I'm a voice pointing to Jesus. That's who I am. Then if you move on, this, this is the money moment. I was just like aching to get to all morning because what he does next proves that he's secure and not insecure, He's centered, and he's not all over, wondering what he is. Turn to chapter 3 of John. This is insane. Verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Ainon near Salim because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. So here we go. Both John and Jesus are working now. They're both in the baptizing industry. So John's doing what he's called to. Get this, John is operating in his limits and his potential. He knows what he's not and what he is. And what's he doing? Baptizing, pointing to Jesus. That's who I am. I'm a voice pointing to Jesus. So he's baptizing and doing that. And look what happens. As a result, John's followers start following Jesus instead of John. The number of John's followers shrinks, his brand shrinks, as Jesus' brand grows. Huge moment for me right now, and hopefully you, when your life is truly pointing to Jesus, don't be surprised when people start following Jesus and stop following you. And if you're truly following Jesus, you celebrate your shrinking influence. Oh, what is that? How does that even jive with what we were? Test the limits breakthrough, Princess Elsa. <laughs> uh, in verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples. They're arguing about this. They're arguing about this shift of influence. They came to John and said, actually, they're arguing about washing, but they had a concern about Jesus. Verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. He's like, he's like John, the one that you were telling everyone to follow, it's, it's actually real now. They're following. Your, thing is, your thing's ending. Um, everyone's buying his brand now. Everyone's using his app. Everyone's doing his thing now and not your thing. What are you going to do about that, John? Look, everyone's going to him, and look, look what John says. Oh, gosh. <laughs> to this, John replied, a person can receive 
only what is given them from heaven. Oh my. Like, please, brothers and sisters, like, memorize that. Like, slowly breathe that out in contemplative, meditative prayer every morning for the next seven days. I can only receive what is given me from heaven. And listen to the rest of John's words, dripping with humility, totally free of insecurity. Verse 28, you yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. <laughs> this is John receiving his selfhood, stepping into his skin fully. This is John the Baptist centered. He's standing before his creator God like, I will live under the limits you've put on my life. I gratefully receive the limitations and the potential that you have given me, God. And so he says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You guys, that, that's limits. That's the gift. I can only receive what God gives me. I can only do what God gives me to do. That's it. I can't do more. I can't, I can't do anything else. You guys, we have all these Christian dreams and whatever, like take back the world for Jesus till the whole world hears. Like just go and we wanna reach the world or whatever. We wanna do it all, but we can only change the world if God looks at you and says, hey, guess what, you? I'm gonna change the world through you. And if God doesn't do that, you can't. So get to rest. We get to be that restful people that inhabit shalom. So stop trying. You can stop trying. John the Baptist following is shrinking and his influence was shrinking, we have been drip-fed a lie, especially in the American church, that our influence should be growing if we're doing things right, and that's dead wrong. Be set free of that today. John's influence is shrinking, and soon he'd be decapitated, okay? And he's, he's like, God has given me limits, and I'm gonna live under them. I'm not the Messiah, I just point to him. That's potential. I'm not, I'm, I'm not the Messiah, I just point to him, that's, that's right there, that's potential. It might not seem like it, but it is. When you find out what you're not, it gives you so much insight into who you are. It's, it's I'm not the Messiah, I was just sent here to point to, I was sent. I'm gonna rest in that fact, and I'm gonna do the thing I was sent to do, and now my influence is shrinking, and my brand is shrinking, and my following, and my net worth is shrinking, and Jesus' ministry over there is growing, and that's fantastic from the bottom of my soul. There's no guile in that. I'm not saying this out of false humility. I'm not saying this out of some like projection of self-defense just in case my influence really does shrink and then I've said it's okay. No, I, I'm, this, is, this is my reality. This is the reality, the only reality there is. Because he must become greater, I must become less. This isn't Jesus must become greater and if necessary, I'll give stuff up. No, it's he must become greater and I must become less. The best way, this is, this is reality, this is how to understand our life, the way that we live it, and the way that we understand reality. Should be like, God, may you and your glory and your fame become greater, and may my voice 
And may my influence and maybe even my net worth shrink, may become less and less as long as your kingdom keeps growing. This is, I believe, a demonic stronghold in the American church, the likes of which we are so profoundly unable to see because we've believed, we've believed so many visions and dreams that are contrary to the kingdom of God. So to let go and to release to him in this way, if my net worth shrinks, if my influence shrinks, and if the kingdom is growing, then this is how it must be. This is how it must be. John the Baptist's mindset, as long as you become bigger and bigger in my life, I will gladly become less and less. I must do this. Because this is human flourishing. This is what it means to flourish. We say upside down kingdom, hopefully now you're actually feeling how upside down it is. It gets underneath the bottom of the thing we didn't even think needed to be turned upside down. Might sound weird and backwards, but Christ redeems us to say this. I can live under my God-given limitations again. Some of you right now, we're landing the plane. Some of you now are so restless because you're trying to make your way in the world and you're trying to prove yourself in the world and you're trying to get that degree and you're trying to build your brand or increase your network. You see the world as that limitless be everywhere you wanna be visa ad. You see your world that way and you're paralyzed with fear because you don't know which one is the one because you're worried about making the wrong decision and losing the most future equity, which is not a thing. There's no such thing as future equity. God sent me here to tell you, God sent me here to be a voice, to tell you that you are not God. That's why I'm here. That's why Evan is standing here right now. And as John Stott said, the essence of sin is humans submitting themselves for God. But that's not the end of the quote. He drops the mic right now. The essence of salvation is God substituting himself for humans. <laughs> that's the good news. That's why any of this matters. It's what the Bible calls the gospel. It's represented by all these tables around the room. It's a family meal. It's open and it's free. This reality is free. You can be free to live under his limits and flourish in relationship with him and, and, and to repent of trying to be God. You get to repent of trying to be God. This is the biggest, biggest opportunity ever afforded to humans to repent of trying to be God. The call today is to say, God, I'm not God, you're God. First song we're gonna sing out of the teaching is that, that Hillsong tune, So Will I. The story of God fashioning the universe so that there would be an obedient response to him from the universe, not the least of which, his human family, to say, if all of that orbits you in worship, so will I. I am not you. You are you, God, and I face you. That's the call today. And the essence of my sin and your sin is to live limitlessly and to try to do everything yourself and to take God off the throne and put yourself there. But the essence of salvation is God coming to us and taking on our limits. God took on our limits. Think on that. Like God took on our limitations as a human. This is the Christian confession. He took on our flesh and bones and skin and your anxiety and fear in a non-sinful way. That's amazing. And even our own limitations, even our own 
temptations Jesus took on. How does God feel tempted to sin? Question of ages. But he did it. He was tempted to sin, yet did not fall. Satan tempted, tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and he was like, Jesus, you're hungry. Make those rocks into bread. And Jesus was like, no, I'm gonna live under my God-given limits. I will not do that. No being in history has limited himself more than God in Christ, who ultimately died for us on a cross. And through his whole life of sacrifice, he was bringing you back to God. He was opening the way to forgiveness for all human sin, including all your sin and mine. He placed himself where we deserve to be. Where did we deserve to be? Where do we deserve? What, what do we des The message of the gospel <laughs> involves this harsh reality that at the cross, there was a place that belonged to us that Jesus traded. And we deserve to receive all the repercussions of our violent intent. All the consequence that we sinned into the body of our limited God. We deserved to be on the receiving end of what we dished to Jesus. But Jesus said, no, I will absorb and forgive and then invite. Jesus' limitations were infinitely greater than any limits you've ever experienced or will, and he did it to set you free. To set you free to receive the gift of living in fellowship with your maker in love. Are you, are you willing to receive that? I don't know how many Christians there are in here or non, whatever, how you ever wanna call it. Have you ever responded to Jesus' invitation to follow him into fellowship with God, believing he took your place? He limited himself all the way to death, what, the ultimate limit. He absorbed it so that your limit would not involve death, you'd be resurrected. So when you surrender to Christ, you come out from underneath your worry and your brokenness and your pain and your sin, and you, you step into the place of full rest and true humanity. So this week, if you're in a Park Hill community, you get to get practical in your communities, you get to talk through like, what does it look like for Evan and Sandy to like receive the gift of limits? Because I feel overextended different points every week. There's different moments of like, ah. And so recently what I've practically, here's one thing practically. I, uh, for, for me, it meant turning my smartphone into a dumb phone. Uh, my, it was an infinity phone and now it's a sensible phone. Like practically I just, lock myself out of email and Safari and all social media news apps and basically whatever provides an endless supply of interesting things to check out. Any apps that go to infinity, gone. Um, and then I made the conscious decision to keep only the apps that actually make my real life better and not drag me along for the ride. And it's awesome. <laughs> like every, <laughs> I have a couple couple pages that I swipe through on my home screen, and the only apps are my top row of four, for like four pages. There's a folder I call the future, <laughs> and it's full of any app that makes me feel like I live in the future, and I can connect with my kid's little watch phone thing and all that, like, and there, but there's no apps that go to infinity. I don't need a limitless phone, I'm realizing, in this phase. I need a, a sensible phone. So there's tons of practical ways to explore what it looks like to receive the gift of limits, you're gonna talk through that with your community. 
But right now, we need to respond and turn to God and say, God, I've placed myself where only you should be. God, I'm not God. You are God. And thank you for placing yourself where I deserve to be. That's the response. We're gonna come to the tables now. Can we stand?